Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. Our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve worker safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Over the past 12 months, the impact of COVID-19 has been felt in every industry, including occupational safety and health. This pandemic has brought an even greater emphasis to the steps safety professionals can take to protect the health of workers and the public. Here with me today to look back over the past year, how it's affected workplace safety and health, and what all this means for the future is ASSP President Deb Roy. Deb is president of Safe Tech Consultants Incorporated, providing safety consulting for global clients, and has more than 35 years of occupational safety and health experience. Uh, Deb, welcome. Great to have you back on the show. Uh, nice to be here. Let's get started. Now, uh, uh, the last time you and I spoke was uh, back in the spring when we were still kind of, you know, in the earlier stages of the pandemic. And a lot has happened since then, and including some recent developments that we'll get into in a little bit. But for you, as you look back over the past year, particularly in terms of how it's affected the safety and health profession, you know, what comes to mind for you? What are, what are your takeaways? Well, one of the things that I've seen um, over the last almost a year now uh, is that safety professionals have an incredible amount of visibility today. Uh, in other words, in our organizations, we are the often the go-to person for how to address the risks of COVID-19. And that's an unbelievable position to be in, I think, for most safety and health professionals that have not been in executive roles to actually have that visibility in their senior leadership group or the C-suite. And so I think this is a critical uh, time for us to really evaluate how we're interacting with that senior leadership and how we can continue that visibility into the future. That's going to put us in a much better position to be able to achieve our goals to reduce risk to our workforce in the future. Okay, now, now on on that note, as you as you talk to other ASSP members or uh, clients that you're working with, how has this pandemic affected their operations and the work they do day to day? Well, I think the short answer is we're all working a lot of hours. I think for uh, for most uh, safety professionals, you have to keep up with all of the COVID-19 information, which is evolving. One of the challenges with a new virus is that we're not going to know everything right up front. And information is going to come in dribs and drabs over time based on the research based on the epidemiology that evolves over time. So I think that's a huge challenge. And I've seen a lot of comments to that effect on the ASSP community page for COVID is that people are frustrated by having to keep up with all of the changing information and also just being able to interpret it. Because I think for some of us, Uh, that have more public health background, it's pretty easy to pivot and to look at that data for depending on what your experiences have been, it may be more difficult to evaluate that information. So I think that's one of the things that a, a lot of us are dealing with. And then dealing with local regulation 
that keeps evolving as well. One of the challenges uh, during a pandemic is as there are surges, like we're in now, we're in the third surge of the first wave. The fact is that the local regulations are going to keep changing. So we have openings, we have closings, everything keeps evolving. And because OSHA hasn't done a lot of regulations specific to the pandemic, we have some of the states, particularly the state plan states, that are actually evolving their own regulations. And so that's the other thing I'm hearing from a lot of safety professionals is they're trying to keep up with their uh, regulations state by state. And particularly if you have facilities in a number of states in the U.S., that becomes much more of a challenge to keep up with. And then I think on top of all of that, everybody's trying to do their regular safety work. (laughs) So I would say all of that's just more of a challenge and it is going to continue to evolve. Now, now on that point, something you touched on there was a really good point. I mean, this is something that, you know, many safety professionals had, you know, had never really dealt with before, along with the general population dealing with with an ongoing pandemic, along with the fact, as you mentioned, you know, not knowing necessarily what the next virus might be. But what advice would you give safety professionals and employers in preparing and planning for similar events in the future? How can they use this experience as a learning experience to help them prepare for what might be the next thing down the road? I think you're exactly right. This is a learning experience for all of us. And whether or not you've managed um, a facility going through a pandemic, we've all been going through it this year. So one of the opportunities we have is to take what we've learned and evolve our pandemic plans um, that I'm assuming we all now have, and even if we didn't before, and to keep it updated. So uh, as things evolve, when we get the vaccine and we get through the pandemic, keeping up that plan is going to be important. And then after the pandemic is over, to actually review it periodically with a collaborative team in your workplace so that you can keep it updated. Uh, The reality is, according to the experts, we will see more pandemics more frequently in the future. So uh, this is an opportunity not only to learn now, but to better prepare for the next time. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you mentioned a vaccine that uh, leads perfectly into my next question. That's the, the big news of the week with uh, FDA uh, approval of, of a vaccine. So with you know this vaccine and and others now uh, you know on the on the horizon here how would you encourage employers safety professionals to handle employees returning to work sites as more and more get vaccinated uh, good question and i think um, the first thing i will say is this is going to take time uh, this is not going to be a fast process for the rollout of this vaccine just because of the time involved with manufacturing the amount of doses that we'll need for a global pandemic. Uh, So this pandemic is not only in the U.S. And and I think that's something that we tend to forget when we're focused on our our local area. The fact is, in a global pandemic, we've got to produce enough vaccine with a limited number of manufacturing 
organizations to actually cover the world. And it will take time to produce it. It will take time to transport it and to actually administer it. So during that time, we're going to have to maintain our current processes to reduce risk in our workplaces. And I think if we thought it was hard to get people to wear masks up to now, and I'm still seeing a lot of commentary from safety professionals about, you know, COVID fatigue and how am I going to get these people to wear masks and so forth, it's going to get worse because the fact is this particular vaccine uh, was intended to keep us from getting the serious effects of the disease. In other words, the disease itself, COVID-19. We don't know if it's going to protect us from getting infected with the virus SARS-CoV-2, meaning that over time, we'll learn whether or not we could still be asymptomatic and spread the disease, even if we're vaccinated. So that's why our procedures really aren't going to change. And that's going to be tough to message even harder than it is now. So that's, that's the first issue. The other one is we don't know how durable the vaccine is going to be. So meaning how long is it going to last? So there's been a lot of conversation about uh, documenting your immune status. So you've probably heard about immunity passports or vaccine documentation. The fact is there are companies that are looking at developing apps and so forth, but what end date do you put in? (laughs) We don't know yet how long it's going to last. Now, hopefully it's at least a couple of years, but it's going to be probably until next summer before we have a better idea about whether those antibodies that are developed because of the vaccine are going to last. And so consequently, although there are lots of apps that are being talked about in the media, the fact is we're going to go back old school, I suspect, and we're going to have either little yellow cards or a piece of paper when we get back. And so from an employer standpoint, when we get to the point where more and more people in the public get vaccinated, there may be some discussion about getting documentation from people. But I think it's too early at this point. It's something to keep in mind and to consider in your organizations. But I don't know yet that we're really going to be at a point in the next couple of months where you're going to have enough people vaccinated to really worry about who's got what documentation. Along those lines, the last time we spoke, we were discussing return to work strategies and things like that. So Along with vaccine documentation, would you encourage employers, kind of like we talked about then, to bring people back to the work site in phases? Say maybe, you know, you go to 25%, then 50%, 75%, so forth, and to, you know, keep those engineering controls and administrative controls that you had in place during the pandemic in place until we get to a point where we feel like, okay, things are better now, or some of those controls, do you just see those staying in workplaces indefinitely? Well, I, you know, my my gut reaction is that through 2021, we're going to be using uh, those procedures, the engineering controls, meaning ventilation, filtration, 
as well as distancing masks and washing your hands, for example, throughout that year, for the most part. You know, there's a couple different ways to approach this from an employer standpoint. You could wait until we get to what is deemed herd immunity level by, I assume, the US CDC. And that's going to be probably about 70 to 75% of the population. Uh, so if indeed, and that's because of the, the uh, effectiveness of the vaccines that we have so far, because they have really high effectiveness. So in that particular case, you could wait until we get herd immunity before you start bringing people back. That's one option. Another option is to do exactly what you just suggested, is to phase people back in, which most of us had in our plans to begin with. And so if indeed uh, that's what an employer wants to do, I think you can safely phase people back in as long as you have appropriate ventilation and filtration in that facility and there is reinforcement of the, the risk reduction procedures. And we will know more probably, as I said, by next summer about whether or not you can actually be an asymptomatic spreader once you're vaccinated. The hope is that isn't gonna be the case, but because the phases of the trials have been so short, not enough time has passed to know whether people could still be spreaders after they're vaccinated. Because if you think about it, even if you have 30 or 40,000 people that were in a trial, some of them received the vaccine, some didn't. So the people that did receive the vaccine, only a handful of people actually got the disease. So there are not enough of them to know whether the rest of them are spreading it or not. Another aspect of this, you know, we talk a lot about the, the changing world of, of work and, you know, the, the world of work has changed drastically, of course, over the last 12 months. And one aspect of that has been, you know, a lot of people working remotely, working in environments that they're not used to. So how do you see that affecting the role of safety professionals moving forward and how they're addressing workplace hazards and risk with work arrangements having changed so drastically over the past year? I think there's a couple of different scenarios. I think for industries that are more traditional industries that are not uh, essential workplaces right now, I think what's going to happen is those will slowly evolve to more and more on-site and less you know, remote. But for a lot of industries, we're going to be working remotely ourselves as safety professionals for a longer period of time. And we're also going to have other people teleworking for a long time. And some will telework 100%. Some will still go into the office, you know, two or three days a week and telework a couple of days. So I think what's going to really happen from a risk standpoint is that those policies are going to have to evolve and therefore safety professionals are going to have to consider what are those risks at home as well as at work. And I think that's going to be a much bigger piece of our jobs going forward is really thinking about the risks of telework. You know, the, the hope is that we will find that people will be uh, in a better position at home. And from a workers' comp standpoint, we'll have fewer issues. 
but we don't know yet because this is new for most of us to have this, this large number of people teleworking. So uh, I think we'll learn more as we go forward. For the rest of the population of essential workplaces, I think one of the challenges is going to be how do we keep the risks lower in those operations because we've had a few less controls. So for example, a lot of essential workplaces at work are now working significantly more shifts, seven days a week, you know, 24 hours a day. They have a lot more temporary workforce and temporary workforces are often not managed as consistently as the, the more traditional employees. And that actually creates other issues in the workplace. So that may be a concern. And I'm thinking about things like drug and alcohol testing and uh, training and supervision and so forth. Those kinds of issues may actually become more of a challenge for the safety professionals in those particular situations, particularly if we ourselves are still uh, not functioning 100% of the time in the facility, and we may be doing more telework as well. We may be doing audits virtually. We may be interacting with people virtually, and we may miss some of the nuances that happen in those circumstances. And, And keep in mind, I mean, operations leadership should be focused on the leadership at the site. It shouldn't be the safety uh, professional's responsibility to evaluate the day-to-day operation. But in reality, being in the facility is beneficial to actually address some of the issues. And I can tell you for myself, doing walkthroughs in facilities on a regular basis, I learned a lot about what was going on. Absolutely. That's that's a really good point. Uh, anything else you'd like to like to add as we finish up here? Any uh, closing thoughts? I would challenge all of you as safety professionals to use the opportunity we've been granted with this pandemic and to really hone those soft skills. We all know that you have the technical skills to be able to do this role. Those soft skills will help you to advance your career as you deal with more and more senior leadership. And that's critical to being able to advance your career. So use that opportunity. Absolutely. I think that, that's, a, that's a great note to end on. Uh, uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Deb, and for uh, all your support of uh, the, the podcast uh, throughout this, this very challenging year and coming on and uh, sharing your expertise with safety professionals and helping navigate in a really unprecedented situation and helping improve uh, safety and health at their workplaces. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Happy to be here. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.